Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you um, and he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church and we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Good morning, Rest Church. All right, so before I even introduce myself or anything, we're going to do something this morning and it's going to be really awkward if you guys don't participate with me. I'm going to look like a big goober, all right? So... We're gonna sh- I'm going to shout some words at you, and I want you to shout them back with as much tenacity as you can back at me, all right? All right. Urgency. Urgency. All right. Now. Now. Today. Today. Move. Move. 911. Carpe diem. Carpe diem. And a cliff note, if you don't know what carpe diem means, it means seize the day. So... Now that we got all the cobwebs shaken off and everybody's alive and moving, my name is John. I am very, very grateful and humbled to be one of the pastors here at Rest and uh, just grateful to be a part of what's happening here as well as what we're planning to carry on. And so this morning, before I even get started again, I want to, I've came across a quote as I was prepping for this and it came from the most unlikely source but as I was reading, I just couldn't, I couldn't shake how timely this quote was for us today. And so, Grace, if you'll throw it up for us. I have been impressed with the urgency of doing. Knowing is not enough. We must apply. Being willing is not enough. We must do. And that's from Leonardo da Vinci, um, which was not known. I mean, some people think that he might have been Catholic, but certainly wasn't... Uh, certainly wasn't uh, known for being a believer, but I came across that quote and it just wouldn't leave my spirit. So, so I want to take off this morning in the, uh, in the guise of our summer Sundays theme, and actually it's funny with the melting urgency because I have a, a story that kind of funny has happened a couple years ago, but it's one of those little stories that just never left my brain, thankfully, because today I can now use it as an analogy. So it if any of you guys have been privileged to have met my son, he's five, and he is the most wonderful, cuddly, lovable little boy ever. Yeah. And frustratingly, though, his palate is so advanced that we're now up to like two and a half things that he enjoys eating. Okay? So, so one night, he and I were at home hanging out. I don't remember where the girls were, but my, my wife and daughter were out doing something somewhere else, and it was time for supper. And I had eaten something at the house, but again, Brooks' palate is very, li- his palate is very limited. And so 
I thought, well, Dairy Queen chicken strip basket is one of the two and a half things he enjoys eating, all right? So I'm like, okay, we're going to go to Dairy Queen. I'm going to get him, going to get my dude some chicken strips, and I'm going to get me a big cherry dip cone because I don't even do social media that much, but hashtag best treat ever, all right? So, so I go and get this cone. We get through, we get through the drive-thru. I get, I get dude his chicken strip basket, and I've got my cone, okay? And like always with the Wisdom family, we're always on the move. We're always running. We're always a gazillion miles an hour. So I break up his chicken strips and his french fries, and I put them in one cup holder, and I get his ice water poured in a sippy cup, and I put it in the other cup holder. And we're just going to drive around and cruise for a little bit while he eats, and I'll maybe listen to whatever songs we're playing in the worship team that week or maybe a Bible study or just whatever. So we're just going to cruise around, and he was going to eat supper. I was going to eat my ice cream cone. Life is good, right? So as I'm getting him ready, I haven't even made it out of the parking lot yet. I've just kind of pulled over to the side, and I'm trying to get him ready. And I feel the cone, like, starting to drip a little. All right, so I kind of get him done, and I look over. And, okay, now, granted, like, the amount of ice cream they put on top of this itty-bitty little cone, you know, is like the, the structural integrity already doesn't make sense. Like, so you're sitting here like a basketball on a golf tee anyway. And so I'm trying to figure out how to eat it, and it is, there's obviously something was wrong with their soft serve machine that day, because it is like, like if I'm trying to bail water out of a boat, I'm sinking, like I'm, I'm preparing to swim. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm literally at this point, as I pull out of the parking lot, it's dripping all over me, all over my clothes, like I'm trying not to get it on my truck, I'm kind of hanging it out the window, because I mean, like, I'm cheap and chubby, the thing's getting eaten, I'm not throwing it away, you know what I mean? So... So anyway, as all this happens, I finally have to pull off into like, uh, well, right there across from Walmart where they sell all the, uh, the buildings, and there's that big, on the south side, and there's that big gravel parking lot where they sell pre-built buildings. So I pull in there, and I just get out of the truck, and I walk around to Brooks' side of the truck, and we're just hanging out, and dude's munching his chicken strips, and I'm sitting here like this, eating this ice cream cone, and it's just dripping everywhere. And so really, the moral of that story is, like I said, it's kind of just an innocent thing, but it, it, it's never left my brain of just that whole situation. And much like that ice cream cone that was melting so quickly that day, as I was struggling to keep it contained, the kingdom of Christ is built upon the same thought of urgency. The melting urgency of the gospel and our call to make disciples is littered throughout the gospel. I mean, there, there is so much material there that right before here, I didn't have time. I was just, I, I prepped what I'm going to preach on. But if you literally go to Google and just Google Bible verses pertaining to urgency, it'll pull up dozens and dozens and dozens. Of, I mean, there's, it's just littered everywhere. So today, I pulled out a few examples that I want us to talk about together to really understand what kind of urgency that we have to follow Christ today as well as to make disciples that follow Christ today. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start on verse 59, and we're going to read through verse 62. Give everybody a second to get there. All right. Starting in verse 59. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. 
but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So the first example here of this first guy can be looked at as pretty harsh. I mean, it's like Jesus, I mean, like if the, if the guy's father was, was dead and he literally just had to go and do the funeral and, and bury his father, like, that's a little, bit, a little bit harsh for you to say, right? But really, Scripture doesn't tell us whether or not his father's actually dead or not. We don't really know if his father was dead or not. It's not really clear on that. Perhaps this man was the oldest sibling, and his father was getting old in age. Maybe his heart was toward wanting to help his father carry out the final season of his life for financial stability. Or maybe it was purely an obligation to just take care of his father. Because in those days, and much like today too, I mean, we can certainly relate to it as well, but in those days especially, whatever wealth management, whatever, whatever the father had accumulated became the son's livelihood, Right? Maybe he was focused on collecting his inheritance from his dad so that following Jesus would be more comfortable and consist of less painful sacrifice. You know, if, if you're, if you're going to commit to go preaching the gospel somewhere and you're going to follow Jesus, it's, it sure is a lot less stress when you've got a million dollars in the bank, right? <clears throat> Truth is, is that we don't know what intentions the man had in his heart. We really don't know that. But what we do see is that the priority of following Jesus has to be at the top. It has to be number one. It has to be the first, foremost, aggressive goal of the believer's heart. We must have Jesus following him and proclaiming his kingdom at the top priority. And something else that I've noticed in this story is that this man had his name called by Jesus. The first man, Jesus looked at him and said, follow me. He didn't approach Jesus. Jesus approached him. And when the king of the universe calls your name, you don't make sure today's day and age, you don't make sure he sees the phone up to your ear and you give him the one finger, wait a second. You know, that's essentially what's happening here. And we can all relate to that somehow. The, I just got to get my affairs in order. I've got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. And then I'll be comfortable. Then the calling of following Jesus and pressing into the world to spread the gospel. I'll wait until I have a better platform so people can listen to me before I share the gospel, right? Because I'll be honest with you, if I'm being honest, being a pastor, a worship leader, leading a D group, ministering to people, trying to coordinate lunch and dinner with people who need ministry, and, and, and I need it myself, so I have to sometimes coordinate lunches and dinners and talking with people because that's part of it too. And it would sure be easier if I had a big fat bank account and worldly cares and things to not have to grind through and balance as well. But it certainly cannot excuse the desire to press on. Lord's going to take care of those details. He's going, to, he's going to give me the right heart. He's going to give me the right, the right mindset to take care of the needs of my life. My focus has to be on following Jesus and making disciples. See, the second story in this text is a little bit different. 
This man approaches Jesus and declares, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you, except he lobs a butt in there as well. He's saying, you know, I'll follow you, but I gotta go home. I gotta take care of these last few things. Essentially what he's saying is, Jesus, I'll follow you, but it's gonna be on my time. And again, we don't know this man's intent of his heart. Jesus did, obviously, but we don't. We don't know what he was really getting at. You know, maybe this guy looked at Jesus and thought, you know, Jesus is only in his early 30s. I know he's on the road headed toward Jerusalem. There's always this monster crowd of people following him. Jesus is going to be a pretty easy guy to find. I can probably hook up with him tomorrow. I can probably get my affairs in order and chase Jesus down wherever he might be. Little did he know that Jesus is on his path in a very short time from this point. He's going to be crucified. And his ability to walk physically on the earth with Jesus is melting as fast as the ice cream cone, Right? And it's a really, really easy process. It's a really easy thought process for us to get stuck in this. Of just like, there's always tomorrow. I'm nice and comfortable today. I'll push to be uncomfortable tomorrow. But hey, we all know tomorrow doesn't come. If tomorrow actually does come for you, the Lord gives enough grace for tomorrow to come. If your mentality is still, I'll do it tomorrow, tomorrow's never gonna get here. It's never gonna get here. And we all know, we can say it a million times, but we all know we're not even guaranteed to make it to lunch after service today. That I'll do it later mentality. And Jesus says that that mindset isn't fit for his kingdom. And see, I was listening recently to a pastor teaching on this particular set of scripture. And he pointed out something that really kind of really just shook the way I looked at all of it. And so as, as he was talking, you know, he pointed out, like, these two men in these stories, we could have potentially known these two guys' names. We could have potentially read about all their exploits with Jesus and how they conducted miracles and how they walked with him and how they were pillars in the church and how there would be books in the Bible written with their names on them. But we don't get that. They get a verse each, and they remain nameless, and they get a verse each that is summed up into a warning of what not to do. We don't even get to know their names. Their life, their entire life, melted down into one verse of a warning on how not to be and what not to do. And church, like seriously, we've got to stop for a moment and realize the gravity of how easy it is to fall into this tomorrow mentality. We, we don't have tomorrow. Jesus says we, don't, we, don't even, we can't even afford the heart and the mindset of looking to tomorrow. And with that in mind, I want you guys to know that the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. Now, I'm going to say that again. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. Church, time is fleeting. It is moving so fast. Some of the older generation that's sitting in this room right now, I guarantee you, you go and talk to them. They were 17 yesterday. I was 16 yesterday. 
I'm 34, married with two children, a career, and a mortgage. And it, it happened that fast, right? I mean, the psalmist even equates it to being a flower that blooms in the morning. We don't even get tomorrow. The psalmist equates the flower blooming in the morning and being withered and wilted by evening. So by this point today in this sermon, I'm sure some of you are asking yourselves, like, well, pastor, these passages are great for teaching us about the urgency of following Jesus, but how does that fully tie into planning a church in Metropolis? Well, it's pretty simple. Because following Jesus and making disciples go hand in hand. They are not separate. It is the calling of the great commission of our lives. In worship to Jesus, we must make disciples. Because if Jesus was walking the earth and preaching and teaching these extreme examples of urgency to follow him, and that it must come before every other priority in our lives, then it's just as clear that the church must violently and with equal urgency take this gospel news to all nations, tribes, and people groups. I mean, like we say here at rest all the time, like the church is God's chosen plan A to get the message of the gospel to the people in the world who must hear it. We are the billboard. We are the loudspeaker. We are the walkie-talkie. Whatever form of communication helps you relate that, we are God's chosen instrument to do that. So if it's urgent, just like Jesus was telling these guys, if it's urgent to obey the message and calling today, then it has to be just as urgent to spread that message and calling today. People can't start obeying things today if they don't hear and see the truth of the gospel lived out in front of them in word and in deed. And so here, we're going to go to John chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 35 and 36, where Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he says, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. See, Jesus reiterates here again that it's wrong to look and think there's plenty of time to plan for the harvest tomorrow. He's saying like that we are in the middle of the harvest. They were in the middle of the harvest 2,000 years ago. We're still in the middle of the harvest today. We're in the season of grace where harvesting can be done. And like church, like I can't stress enough, like the time to take this serious is right now. Right now. There are people that you work with that desperately need the gospel, whether or not you've told them verbally or whether or not they see you struggle to follow Jesus in the midst of a world that doesn't align with his principles and they see you stand on certain things that most people wouldn't or they see you handle a certain situation the way that most people wouldn't because Jesus is the main focus of your life. I can't stress it enough how, how like my heart is burning within me right now. It is so important to impart this 
to you guys. Lord, help this message. Help our eyes. Help our ears to see and hear this, Lord. So now that we've seen a few examples of Jesus reaching out and the improper response to Jesus, and I don't know why, but every time I've read this section of Scripture this morning, I get emotional, so just whatever. But in John chapter 4, back in John 4, we're going to back up a little bit from the verses we just read. And in verse 18, we see Jesus was walking. So we start, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Notice they both have names. They're both named in this book. We know these men. Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. So here we see the response that Jesus is looking for. It's evident here that these four men at least somewhat understood the urgency, understood the opportunity, understood the calling, and they dropped everything to follow the call of Jesus, the correct response to have when the king of the universe calls your name. And see, and then like, and I've talked to A.B. and Cody about this a lot, but like this scene plays over and over in my head because I can't help but imagine. For a long time, I thought about, you know, that, uh, that so many of the early disciples and the apostles were fishermen, and I wanted to think about it in a way of being just a, just a really crubby, like grindy job that didn't pay very well. And they, they were kind of leaving like kind of a crap job to follow Jesus. And it, made sen- it just always made sense in my brain at the time to look and see that following Jesus at that moment must have, looked, must have looked much more glamorous than what they were doing. But it's really not the case. I mean, at that time where they lived on the shores of Bethsaida and they were fishing in the Sea of Galilee, like it was prominent. That was the industry to be in. There was a super, super strong middle class there at that time. And I mean, even if you read this same account in the book of Mark, they, it even states that they left hired servants in the boat with their father. So these men were doing okay. They had servants. Back then, you didn't have servants if you were just grinding. So I think through what it must have looked like, they weren't, they didn't, they weren't walking away from a dead-end job. They were walking away from, from some pretty big stuff. And they were, I mean, they were probably, who knows how many generations deep fishermen. Their dad was a fisherman. Their dad's dad was probably a fisherman. Their dad's 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 dad was probably a fisherman. That's probably the only thing these guys ever, ever knew. And they're standing in a boat, mending a net with their father, working on their 401k, 
right? At some point, their dad's going to fish until he can't fish anymore, and then they're going to take over the family business, and then they're going to take care of their father because he can no longer work, and then they're going to have to take care of the servants and make sure people get paid, and there's, there's a lot of stuff here. And so for these men to drop the net, they're dropping a lot more than a net. They're dropping a lot more than a net, And I just can imagine Zebedee, <clears throat> the father. In, we don't see how he reacts. He might have rejoiced. I mean, they were Jews. They were waiting on, they knew, they knew Jewish law. They knew a sincere Jewish rabbi when they saw one. They knew that Jesus had stuff happening. They were, that he could have been really hungry for God. And he could have said, you know what? Something's going on with that teacher specifically. You guys go. I got this. Like, he's calling you, he wants you specifically, you go. Maybe that was his thing. Maybe that part of their drop in the net was pretty easy. But there's also the other part of, maybe Zebedee wasn't quite in line, and maybe he was like, uh, hello, you know? I mean, like, I'm the store owner and the GM, and the, you know, the assistant GM both just walked away. Like, hey guys, what are we gonna do tomorrow? What happened to the urgency? What, happen, what, what happens to the business tomorrow? You know, again, we don't really see Zebedee's reaction. But we know what happens, right? They drop the nets. And they follow Jesus. And whatever Zebedee happened to be thinking that day, don't you know today, he's proud of the family legacy. Don't you know today that the father's name, we know the name of their father because of the sacrifice of his two sons. So don't you know today, regardless of what they sacrificed, whether he was for it or whether he was confused by it, don't you know today that he's proud of the family legacy? So as we circle back around to my ice cream cone episode in the truck, what are you doing with the melting urgency of the time you've been given to manage your life? The gospel won't ever melt. It is chiseled in the hardest bedrock that's never going to fade. However, your opportunity, my opportunity to sow, gather, and labor in it is melting rapidly. Your opportunity to collect wages for eternal life and to store up good works like I preached about a couple months ago, our opportunity to do that is melting rapidly. The time for people on this earth to learn what Jesus has done for them and the time they have to repent is melting rapidly. See, Jesus doesn't need us to build his church. However, he chose for us to have the privilege of being the ones that share his good news and build disciples. And he will build the church. So believer or rest church family partner, I'm talking to you. I challenge you this morning to sober up and understand the urgency that again is littered through the New Testament. Jesus was not playing.
He was not playing. I challenge you to understand the grace we've been given to be a part of a body of believers like this who love each other. Yeah, we've got some quibbles and we, we have things because we're all human. But the grace we have to be, the grace we've been given to have the body of believers we have and to have people who are truly ready to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. We're in a body of believers who wants to labor and grow. And we must shepherd that and we must foster that and we must continue to press each other forward as we look towards September. And trust me, the pastor team knows, we know how aggressive a September startup is. We know how aggressive that is. But we also know that when we read scripture and we pray on how to lead the congregation of people that we have here, we know it's the only option for a church who wants to be in line with Scripture. It's the only option. We absolutely must press forward, regardless of whether it's uncomfortable, whether we get stretched, whether, we, whether whatever challenges come up. And so what I'm really calling you, believer, this morning to do Drop the net. That's what I'm calling you to do. Because I promise you again, whatever those four men that we just chose to look at this morning, those four men, I promise you, not for a second have regretted dropping the net. Not for a second. And so, believer, this morning, as we're still fostering the ideas and, and, and gathering to do this church plan, I want you to individually dig deeper this morning. And I want you to treat your obedience to Jesus in your life with this exact same urgency. Don't work on repenting of any sin that you know is in your life tomorrow. Deal with it today. Don't worry about, don't try to confess something to your brother that you need healing from. Don't confess that tomorrow. Do it today. Now, do it today. Our pride and our struggles can't be allowed to take the priority and the attention of our hearts over making disciples. The more we repent of sin, and confess sin to each other, and grow and heal from that together, the more room and opportunity we have to focus on the Great Commission. And so this morning, as we continue to wrap up during invitation, we're going to have time to respond to that. And so I would challenge you, to grab somebody and say, hey, I'm, I'm wrestling with something. I can't get over this. I'm addicted to pornography. I can't quit taking prescription medication that I'm not supposed to take. I'm convicted of it. Whatever, whatever it is that you're struggling with, I'm telling you guys, the same urgency has to be applied on every area of your life. You need to share it with somebody. You need, to, you need it to be ugly and out in the open and transparent because God will take it and he will take the brothers and sisters he's placed in your life 
and you will heal and grow from that junk. Because just like Pastor Cody said last week, we have to do that stuff because we, our main calling is that we must continue three things. We must continue equipping the believers with the word, building accountable relationships, what I was just talking about, and replicating the process, which is where we're going to plant a church in Metropolis. And to kind of have a real-world tie-in to really stress the sense of urgency that I'm talking about. In 1871, there was a gentleman by the name of Dwight L. Moody, or D.L. Moody, which I think the majority of us in here have probably heard that name. He was a, just a, a Christian father in the faith, a very powerful man of God. And he was preaching in 1871 in downtown Chicago, and he was preaching a six-sermon series. And the night of his fifth sermon, he said it was the, in this interview that I read, he said it was the largest congregation he'd ever preached to at the time. And he was feeling pretty proud of himself and kind of puffed up and, and, and was just really feeling the whole thing, you know? And his sermon was titled, What Shall I Do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? And as the interview goes on, Moody says that he ended that sermon that week with a resounding, come back next week to hear of Calvary and the cross, where we will decide what to do with Jesus. And as they were singing the invitation song, that, after he had literally after he had literally dumped that statement, they were singing the invitation song and a fire had started a few buildings over. And that fire began to rage and the fire bells and the fire trucks and the response and the, the chaos outside became so loud that they couldn't continue the meeting and so they had to disband the meeting. Well, that fire was the great Chicago fire that if, even if you've spent just a tiny bit of time in a history class on American history, that's a, that was a pretty big catastrophic event. It killed over 300 people. It left 90,000 people homeless, and it devastated a good majority of the chunk of Chicago. And Moody never got to preach his sixth message. He never got an opportunity again to talk to the congregation that was there. He made the mistake of not presenting the gospel in an immediate chance for somebody to, to ask questions, for somebody to respond to it. And as he finishes up the interview, as he finishes up the interview, he said that he would have rather had his right hand cut off than to give an audience a week to decide what to do with Jesus ever again. And this interview was taken 22 years after this instance. And the interviewer said that Moody was still exceedingly remorseful just for that missed opportunity. And he finished the interview with saying, the gospel is too important to leave until tomorrow, let alone next week. 
Lives depend on it. We must start today. So now, I want to take a moment and talk to the unbelievers in the room. Anybody who's wrestling with, do I believe, do I not believe, or you can openly say, like this Jesus that that you believe in, I'm not so sure. I want to talk to you for a moment. And just like the examples of the first two men in this book that we've talked about, don't let the good news of Jesus walk through your village today. Don't leave it up to chance for tomorrow because you never know what fire might start from where and what it will consume. There's no time for that. Please hear my voice in that. There's no time for that. Tomorrow might look really solid, man, but you don't know it's there. This afternoon might look solid. You don't know it's there. It's truly that important. It's truly life or death. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Everyone knows that. You can go to the smartest scientist on the planet. You can go to the most intelligent, atheist, Christian. It doesn't matter who you talk to. Everybody on this planet knows that you're not guaranteed any length of time. And Jesus, much like the first two guys, is calling you today to in faith follow him. He's a shepherd. He won't leave you stranded. He won't leave you out in the open. Now, he's going to discipline you. He's going to shape your life. He's going to deal with the sin in your life. He's going to deal with the junk that you love, that you don't want to let go of, that you know in your heart. You can justify it ten ways till next Sunday, but you know that you're living wickedly because he wrote his law on your heart, and no matter how much you want to suppress it, you know You know that you're living wickedly. And I want you to take advantage of the opportunity you're given today, right now. Don't worry about getting your life right first. We've already talked about that, right? It it doesn't matter. These other guys wanted to get their life together and Jesus said, I'm not, I, I don't have time for that. I, have, I want you now. We, I will deal with the junk in your life. You walk with me. You love me and you trust me and I will make you into what I'm calling you to be. I know you don't have the strength to do it. I know you're broken. I know you're hurting. I know you don't know what direction to turn, but I know and I will guide you. I will shepherd you. I will pull you back into the ranks when you trail off. Scripture says that while you were in the midst of your sin, while we were still sinning in the heat of the most wicked moment of your life, Jesus still came and he still died to pay the price for you. So come to Jesus this morning just as you are. There is a family of people in this room who will do backflips if any of us are not chubby enough, you know. We will do backflips 
and we will love you and we will struggle through this life and struggle and continue to point each other to Jesus along the way. But you're welcome in this family. Because believe me, I know plenty of believers in this room right now who have a past and a story that could give you a run for your money and mine's included, all right? The amount of things that I wish I could take back that I wish I could have erased. But thank goodness that His grace is sufficient. So, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I've talked a lot about this Jesus, but I want you to know that there is one God who sets above everything. And he will judge every person who's ever lived. And if that person does not meet the requirements, which is perfection, then your life is not good enough. But there was a man named Jesus who's been from the beginning and Jesus stepped out of heaven. He laid his deity aside and he came to live with his creation. And he came and lived the perfect life that nobody in this room could live. And he walked out perfection in love as a suffering servant. And he did that so that he could live the life that you couldn't live And so that he could also accept the wrath of Almighty God as the perfect sacrificial lamb in your place and in my place. And the beauty of it never, ever gets old. It never gets old. But that Jesus is in this room right now he paid your price. He walked the walk that you couldn't walk. And now even after his death, three days later, he rose from the dead. And he is seated at the right hand of God the Father this morning. And he is praying for you. He is interceding for those that belong to him and those that will belong to him. So that is the captain of our faith this morning. And if you would like to meet that Jesus, please talk to somebody before you leave today. Do not leave with the first, the slightest bit of a question. It is that important. There's a prayer team, there's deacon teams, any pastor here, I'll volunteer their time. It's that important. Somebody will talk with you. So as we worship this morning, again, believer, whether you're a believer who needs to drop the net and to repent of things and to be the church together so that we can focus in unison on spreading the gospel or whether you're an unbeliever and you want to meet Jesus this morning, we're going to sing this last song, Come As You Are, which ties right into what I was just saying.
So let's worship and let's respond this morning, church.